0: Welcome to Kumiko's episode 271. I'm your host, Mike Epps, cult leader, and with me, as always, uh, the beat goes
1: on. Oh, yeah, the
2: beat goes on. David Bowie, time on Master. And your man in Japan, trying to avoid all of the religious nutcases, <laughs> Michael Baker. <laughs> taking up. All right.
1: cool. he goes on. Yeah.
2: So yeah, as it turns out, one of the few benefits of having a former prime minister assassinated is that the oh, very God. religious group that was it that the guy was attempting to expose has been exposed for the political yeah
1: function. no that actually functions like he got what yeah. he wanted, which is something. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it was I, I a reasonable thing to want exposed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean it was something worth exposing.
2: I mean we're talking about literally six decades of hand-in-hand political cooperation between the ruling political party and a religious group that will tell its followers who to vote for.
1: Yeah. It's, uh...
2: And is very, very fishy about recruiting.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I, when I heard about them, like, it was, uh... that it was... uh, cult-related. I was... Like, there were, like, a bunch of different... Uh, cults that I was thinking of. Like, I immediately discarded out of hand the Aum Shinrikyo, because they're heavily monitored. Yeah. Who uh,
2: knows the Moonies?
1: Yeah, the, the good old Moonies. You can skip Happy Science Wait, and go straight to the Moonies.
2: <laughs> did you... Did you ever hear how that relationship started?
1: No, I didn't know where that came from.
2: Prime Minister Abe's grandfather, former Prime Minister Kishi, was mm. um, voted out of... Or, he was removed from leadership back in like 1961 because yeah. his hardcore conservative "let's bring back the imperial dynasty as ruler" uh, stance wasn't very popular.
0: <laughs> Funny huh. how that works. I wonder and
2: why. He, and he blamed the those rat bastard Chinese red communists for it.
1: Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. It's so always been red years, meat.
2: So about after about about two years after he was forced out of the prime ministership, he was at a like an e, an Asian peace summit or something or other, and he went and he got gloriously drunk with the Reverend Sun Young Moon, where they Jesus both started Christ. going off about those rat bastard Chinese red communists, and came to a gentleman's agreement.
1: It <laughs> a real marriage convenience.
2: Yeah, because they both hated the communists. And this is why literally four-fifths of the Mooney's international income comes from Japan.
0: Jesus. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, I was always wondering why back in like 2005 or 2006, the president of NOVA, the English Conversation School, donated $10 million to a Mooney church in South Korea. And now Jesus I know that. Lord.
1: Yeah, no, that spells that, it out.
2: Yep. Uh... Um, yeah, apparently, the LTP has been working behind the scenes to m- make sure that no, b- or that the Moody Church is no, or never held accountable for certain practices and recruitment tactics.
1: Huh. Or Whoa. their,
2: or their money management schemes that are very similar to multi-level marketing.
1: Huh. What a strange, uh, what a strange bit of convenience. What a kind thought of theirs. Uh, yeah.
2: Just remember that the communists are godless heathens who do not believe in money and therefore anybody who is religious and hyper-capitalist must be an ally. Of course. See also also seed theology and prosperity gospel in America. Yep, we got tons of that shit.
0: Hey, Fire Miner. Yeah, hello, Fire Miner. Uh, Well, on that cheery note,
1: (laughs) video game podcasts...
0: Uh, yes. Let's get Fire so, Miner. You have to join my cult.
2: <laughs> now I'm wondering if going into the future, there we will be seeing more evil religious institutions in JRPGs that are based off the Moonies rather than the Catholic Church.
1: That would be fascinating. Hmm. Hopefully, so. It,
2: it would be fascinating to see. I mean, I, I can perfectly understand why they chose the Catholic Church to be a model for a lot of these, just because we have the interesting architecture the funny hats and the global organization yeah um so it's it's a good template to follow no hmm. matter what deity is actually being worshipped in it so pretty much yeah
1: uh fireminer asks if anyone saw this on soft video about they were going back into making games yeah i think they announced something that's basically icky meets vampire survivors which is that's uh, that's something with an audience of like five people. I didn't know they even still existed. Not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, the, there's there's been a lot. Like the company has never changed hands. Sunsoft has remained Sunsoft, uh since ever since. As what far have as they I'm been aware. making. Uh for a long time, very little.
2: Uh, uh I mean I was is- assuming that they ended up like Data East and were making vacuum cleaners or something
1: oh man no that... <laughs> no we must we must recount dayday's properly. they were making negative ion generators aka air purifiers oh what
2: <laughs> yeah that was their primary business the video games were a side thing
1: oh yeah but they were kind of like by, by the time anyone in the u.s found out that they did all the air purifier shit it's because they were about to die um but yeah so sunsoft was at one point Uh, unsurprisingly, part of Sun Electronics. Uh, And the, like, disappearance of Sunsoft, at least from the US market, came about because of a big restructuring of the, like, American Sun Corporation due to, like, the dumbest thing you've ever heard. Uh, I'll I'll quote this from, uh, per Wikipedia, uh, but a sourced interview excerpt. Former Sunsoft producer Rene Boutin spoke on Sunsoft's problems with the company. Boutin explained in an interview that it's around this time our director of development, David Seller, suddenly announced he was leaving Worker University Interactive. Then a short time later, in February of 1995, the entire staff called in for a meeting. Sunsoft's president's, president announced that the company was shutting down effective immediately. They kept, uh, they kept on a skeleton crew of four or five people to wrap up operations and facilitate transfer of IP over the plane. That was it for production, QA and marketing. By this time, Looney Tunes B Ball was at QA at Nintendo, was just, uh, and we had just gotten Speedy Gonzales into beta, so it was about to go as well. It turned out that Sun Corporation had lost millions on golf course investments in Palm Springs, and it cost us all our job. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which is just hellish, uh, <laughs> But yeah, some, some part of the Japanese uh, arm of the company has continued keeping on and mostly been licensing out IP for re-relations for the last decade and a half. Um, They they still did some stuff that found its way to the US. Uh, there's a PS1 Blaster Master game that uh, post-dates Sunsoft's uh, US uh, like complete destruction uh, Blaster Master Blasting again, which is Kind of fascinating now because uh, it's not—it's not a great Blaster Master game, but it's the only 3D Blaster Master game, and that gives it at least something to hang a hat on. I remember uh, that one.
0: It yeah, bad. it's not too bad. Yeah,
1: it's not bad. It's not that bad. There are there are much worse attempts at turning the franchise into 3D uh, from the period. But, uh, yeah. So for a long time, they've just sort of been in a holding pattern. They've existed on paper, they've had a handful of parties, but you know, there's not a lot coming out of them. They are announcing that their games are back, baby! We're, we still have the Ikki license, and we're making Ikki with uh, a, like a multiplayer Ikki for up to 16 players that sure looks like Vampire Survivors. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so funny, the thing. Mentioned, uh, yeah, it's so funny they mentioned Iki in the video. Iki is one of the like, Iki is an enduring like among retro gamers brand in Japan. It has. If you some... can manage
2: the cult status, then you and don't let it get to your head. You can last quite a long time as a company over here.
1: Yeah, I once saw a truly ridiculous uh, Japanese VTuber streamer. Stream icky for six solid hours, and I have no idea how they didn't just explode, out, explode out of boredom. <laughs> but uh, it's weird that GTA. No one has made a game about how crazy is. I'm Not even mentioning GTA South American it... uh, there's,
0: there's a couple GTA knockoffs. This uh, hotline like Miami the... involve any of that?
1: No, because Hotline Miami is about how the entire U.S. and most of the world's governments are crazy. Ah, okay. uh Miami is where it happens to be. Uh, uh, but I was going to say, there's that PS2 Scarface game that's absolutely ridiculous. That is a game where you can purchase your sister's ashes as, like, a trophy. What? 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 <laughs> that game is a sequel to Star- Scarface. If you know anything about Scarface, you know that that was a ridiculous premise. Hmm.
0: Uh,
1: Anyone Played the Miami
0: Heat game
1: can't say that I ever played that I played the Mi- I have sampled the Miami vice PSP game
0: Miami Cheers. heat like the Basketball, team. yeah,
1: I, as- I, as- I assume he meant Miami vice, but I don't oh.
0: know.
1: <laughs> But yeah,
0: uh, can you play a Shaq Shaq play for
1: probably. the heat? I'm sure Who's he the did. one that went off and played for the wizard for some reason?
0: uh i forgot what's that, what's scarecrow. that what
2: scarecrow <sighs> sorry that's gonna be my only contribution here because i do know nothing about american ba- basketball
1: that's fair uh, you can just you can just contribute by uh recounting the plot of slam dunk uh, <laughs> uh...
2: i haven't actually read that one either though my wife likes it
1: yeah, no, it's a, it seems to have like a fairly enduring popularity among like shown in sports manga.
2: Uh, it, it gets reprints. It's still in the stores.
1: So, yeah, I mean, like that's, that's what I mean. I mean it seems to have a fairly enduring like,
2: three popularity. Decades.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. Like that's that's the real test of like how much something like was popular at the time versus like having an enduring legacy. Are they still reprinting the volumes of
2: it? So What I find funny sometimes is the series that became popular in America because they were cheap to license for localization, so they were the only ones that a lot of American manga fans had for a while. (laughs) I I still remember a decade or so back where I saw multiple references to a manga called Megumi no Daigo in um, Hmm. various different online comic strips. And I'm like, I've got to look this up because, wow, this thing is obscure in Japan now. It was popular for like four years in the 90s.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot about how Speed Racer has an enduring legacy because it was licensed out in America and the only reason it was really animated in the first place is that the president of Tatsunoko had been the one who made it in the first place. Yeah. ha go, -go, Mahago go, -go, Mahago go, Mahago go, go. Also, one of the most fascinating things to me in the world is to go back and compare uh, the various early Astro Boy themes. Because those first airings of Tetsuan Adam did not have a lyrical theme. Then it got dubbed and they added the children singing, and then the la- then suddenly the uh, later airings of Tetsuan Adam had a Japanese uh, lyrical theme sung by children. <laughs> Is fascinating back and forth cross-pollination.
2: Oh, yeah. I still remember that um, at least one of the series that went into what was in America, RoboTrek. RoboTech, yeah. RoboTech. RoboTech. RoboTech's a different name. RoboTech. I think the Southern Cross anime never completed in Japan. Yeah. But when RoboTech was brought back to Japan as the. Mishmash conglomeration that was, which is let's
1: let's be real that's an insane thing to do in the first place.
2: Yeah, I mean it was apparently fairly common back in the eighties. That's what that's where the infamous "no cuts" line came from with Ghibli.
1: Yeah, Um, no, I I mean the idea of importing it back into Japan is insane.
2: Yeah, that would be that was kind of crazy. But yeah, apparently it actually rekindled interest in the original series that were its components. Yeah, they Uh, they actually got more playtime after that than before.
1: That does remind me that I'm given to understand at least one Power Rangers series was dubbed back into
0: Japanese, <laughs> which that's
1: a choice.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, but yeah,
2: uh, I mean, I just mean some the, the things the... that they had to go through to create Power Rangers out of how many different Super Sentai series have they used now? Um, not all of them, because some of them just wouldn't work. But
1: like some of them didn't work, like. So for a long time, uh, like the Power Rangers, end up for a long time they were like the idea for it was floated back and forth uh, between companies of like we'll take the foot, we'll take the fight footage from Sentai and we'll film American footage around it. Like that idea kept yep. going back and forth, and so there's like test pilots of like three earlier series that just like no one picks up. And then with <laughs> Zo Ranger they pick it up because I mean dinosaur, dinosaur craze and all that shit uh and then uh they're scared to leave behind the z ranger suits so they pay to get more footage of the z ranger suits and like robots like they mm-hmm. pay them to make more sentai footage so that they can that will never be used in a sentai will only be used as power rangers footage because power rangers is just that big and they're terrified of what it would look like of whether the of whether children would follow it if they change suits so they they do that and get like another few dozen episodes out of that it's so expensive it's so much more expensive to do that the whole point of this was to be cheap so that so eventually they reach a point "Hmm?"
2: and then they made the movie which was their excuse to change suits to the ninja series
1: yeah and then the show doesn't follow that it (laughs) it does its own thing the movie's not canon to the show (laughs) uh and so, and then, like they they still chicken out on like putting them in the ninja suits full time. So they just keep they keep recutting and reusing footage. Like they they there's essentially no footage of the Green Ranger in the Japanese version of uh, in Zoo Ranger. He he dies not that not too far into it. So it's just like oh, there's just not there's just no footage of him. So. When they bring that character back, as the White Ranger. His footage is all being pulled from a completely different Sentai. It's like the sec- the the Sentai after Z Ranger. I think it's Die Ranger. And so like, they're having to just heinously try to cut around. And they like they did have suits that existed in America for when they needed the suits for the American footage. Uh, and that's the only time you see the White Ranger with the other colors. And eventually, they get they get absolutely sick of doing that, uh, and they just like the the series is not as white hot as it was. They're just like we just need to pull the band aid off because this needs to be cheaper to make, and that's when they start uh, fall. They start changing the suits uh, with every season, but uh, and they do that fairly consistently for like 20 years, and oftentimes the uh, the Sentai and the Power Rangers series will just be. Like, usually they would at least try to kind of uh, be themed similarly or have similar character arcs and shit. But some of them, it's just like, uh, I think the one that's Power Rangers in Space in the US is about, that. like, they got concept art for it. And it's like, uh, they got concept art for it. And it's like, oh, this looks space-themed. We'll make this space-themed. And then they like actually see the show, and it's like, they're flying through the internet. It's like, well, fuck that. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Power Rangers is a complicated legacy. Uh, but it, And once they get, like, series nearly dies in the early 2010s. Uh, they do this absolutely ridiculous recut of the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to insert new, like, sparkle effects onto it. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. Um,
0: Firemarsh, you should click the thing and join my cult.
2: If we're talking about producers and production companies, they probably weren't thinking anything more than, where does this go with the money?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Eventually, like, the rights shift hands and they do a... Uh, they do a adaptation of Samurai Sentai Shin Kenger, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: and that one's weirdly faithful, uh, concerningly so because, like, yeah, it, it just ends up being like a bad version of the Sentai. But uh, let's see how many? Uh, after that, they start doing this weird thing where they. Uh, stretch one sentai season into two seasons and like they keep the same set of rangers but they have two different forms because they'll get a second form in the second season based on a different sentai and that's what they've been doing for the last little while but yeah real weird shit Uh, honestly a fascinating thing uh, to exist but yeah um Yeah. Um Let's see. But yeah, ugh, sorry. Uh brain dying.
0: Um Let's see. Let's... Oh yeah, in my country they just have busted a small call and it's a Buddhist thing. Buddhist. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Click the thing so we can have you <laughs> in my cult in the game.
1: Okay, so let's let the bad times roll. Okay, uh, we, have, we have somehow gotten onto like three different tangents inside. Of the I'll version. tangent you.
0: Hey,
2: <laughs> okay. yeah, I was just trying to get you off of basketball so I could actually say something. <sighs>
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to get us onto basketball. I know very little about basketball. <laughs> And then the Celtics were in the finals. This year, they lost. Uh, Yeah, that's that's Um, the extent of my knowledge. But
1: yeah, uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, But yeah, so let's let's quickly run down what we've been playing so we can get moving.
2: Well, okay. So last night I beat the Pokemon League Master. What's his face on Pokemon Sword? Nice. Leon? Yeah. I see, I say, "What's his force?" Be, what's his face? Because the French translation has completely different names for everything. Mm. And a lot of them actually track better with big British. Um, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and a few others just track really better with other things too. Like the president of the Pokemon League, I think in every other language, his name is literally just Rose, hmm. and in French, it's Charose, as in like <laughs> share like dear Rose. But the spelling mm-hmm. makes it look more like it's pakistani and the guy looks it he looks like a, <laughs> um like a middle east immigrant to britain whose parents came over or grandparents came over back after the war mm-hmm. um so but yeah and some of the town names are all are much funnier in the french translation uh, that's fun, yeah but yeah but now i have absolutely no idea what to do with the game it's like okay
1: I'll just You can do the post-game,
0: or you can set it down.
2: I'll, I'll just check the I just check the Pokedex and say, okay, what is next on the, you can do the Go exp- get it list.
0: You can do the expansions.
2: Yep. And I don't feel like paying for that. They're good
0: though. Well the second one is good. The first one is pretty good. The second one is very good. Maybe you, some other time. You but, get the um, alternate versions of the three legendary birds in that one, in the second expansion. Cool.
2: Um, also, played a Zelda like called Book Quest last week.
0: Book Quest? And if, interesting.
2: You pay, and if you're paying attention to the site, you may have realized that I also put up an impression of this game really soon afterwards. That was quick. <laughs> Based on my complete inability to defeat the first boss after a dozen tries.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, the hero's basically using a toothpick for a sword.
1: Oh, it's got the lagoon problem.
2: Not quite that bad, but close. (laughs) Um, But the the thing I specifically mentioned in the impression is that the first boss presents an endgame level challenge at the very start. Because it's got... Because my little toothpick's doing it maybe... is doing exactly three hit points of damage per hit, because it shows the numbers. And judging from that thing's health bar, it has over 100 hit points. Ugh, no
1: way to upgrade at all, I'm sure.
2: Not yet. Um... It also deals, like, over half my health and damage every takeoff and landing if I'm too close. Um... Health wow. does recover autumn, does recover slowly, if you sit down long enough, or if you just stay out of the way long enough. And <laughs> there is a tree you can hide behind, where he cannot flame you to death.
1: Uh, However, once fun, you
2: finally actually. whittle him down to half health, he starts summoning baby dragons. Oh good. Which, mm. I mean, okay, it would be easier if I actually had more of a slash radius for my weapon and could reasonably take out a couple of these guys without getting too hurt myself. And it would also be helpful if there was an upper limit to the number he could summon. Because they just, they tend to pop up every five seconds, regardless of how many are currently on the field. I counted 20 of these things the last time I let it go too long. So. Hmm. And they all just home in on you and if you get caught between two of them then that's multiple successive hits and you die.
1: Rip. Yep. Huh? Oh. Yeah. Um So yeah, this
2: is these are this is the main set of reasons why I do not recommend this game
1: that's a shame
2: the in the spotty translation and the general feeling of this world is too large for the number of things you have put in it so far mm-hmm. um, that's minor compare, in comparison to the fact that the some of the uh,
1: just overtuned
2: <laughs> platforming segments are queered and the bosses impossible
1: mm-hmm. so. oh that's a bit of a shame. Uh, Wheels, what have you been playing?
0: Uh, I have been playing Xenoblade Chronicles 3, like a lot. Trace? Trace, a lot. It's very good in trying to figure out what connections it may have to the first two games. Because mm-hmm. it's a lot that could be hinting at, or could just be nothing. Mm-hmm. Like... So... It'll tell you at hour 90. <laughs> maybe or maybe not. I, I really have no idea. It'll like, tell you at hour 90. Like, there's a character, <laughs> and this isn't really a spoiler, because this character has been in multiple of the trailers. Like, it's a queen of mm-hmm. one of the nations. It has a mask. It has a hairstyle that looks almost exactly like that of one of the characters from the Blade Chronicles 1. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it could be... Doesn't necessarily mean homage, Could be literally. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. And like the two nations have races from the first two games. She doesn't necessarily mean anything because like the Nopon have been in every single Xenoblade game. So. Don't know. We'll see. It's got a weird story and I'm really interested to see where it's going. So we'll see. That's about. That's pretty much all I've been playing. I did fire up. trying uh, to impress our viewers into a cult. Yes, join <laughs> my cult. Join. Uh, I have been. I did fire up Dragon Ball Z Kakarot uh, after the collab with uh, Fortnite was revealed, and poked around with that a bit. Which is always fun. So I may play that on the side, but most likely I will go back to finishing Dot uh, Hack. That's my side project. Uh, Cause I'm sure I'm gonna need to break from the Xenoblade at some point. That's healthy. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, to get mine out of the way,
1: uh, I mentioned on Sunday, I played through the entirety of uh, Sly Cooper one on, the, over the weekend. <laughs> Just sort of because I could. I needed a break from RPGs, and that is a short breezy platformer that still holds up quite well. Worth playing, uh, and you can 100% it in like five hours. Uh-huh. Nice. But, uh, and I just reached chapter so you have to three. Worry about
2: sand- of... In this cult too.
1: What's that?
0: What's that?
2: Okay. Really? You have to worry about sanitation with your cult.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you'll see, I manually named one of these characters Fireman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I. What was it? I. Uh,
1: brain, brain dying. Um, yeah. I, I played through, like everyone. Uh, read a bit about the history of the company that produced it, and want to bring up the absolute like balls on a company. It was neck deep in production of an N64 game, and pitched uh, pitched it to Sony as publisher. They, uh... Like, specifically, like, pl- Sony, please publish this Nintendo 64 game. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: it turns out that Sony... Uh, like, the, their bargaining chip was, help us finish this game, and then we will port it to the PS1 afterwards. <laughs> And Sony declined. Uh, they uh, eventually got a publisher for that game in Ubisoft. That game was called Rocket Robot on Wheels. It's a pretty good on 64 game. Uh, got a rudimentary physics system that's pretty impressive. But, uh, yeah, uh, they, uh, they, they went back to Sony for the PS2. But yeah, it's just very funny to me. They were absolutely categorically unwilling to abandon the work they'd already done on the N64 game. Like, no. We want to finish this. We want to release this. And we will do something as ridiculous as pitching an N64 game to be published by Sony. But, uh. Ah. Okay. Uh, Let's get one of these questions that just came up. Why did the original Live Alive? felt to sell in Japan? Was it destined to be a cult cool classic from the start? Uh, I feel like the answer to that comes down to, like, just a late, uh, like, a relatively late Super Famicom game that didn't really have, uh...
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a late game. It was a weird game. Yeah, it didn't have,
1: like, brand recognition kind uh, of ugly exactly for a
2: late
0: super nintendo yeah. game
2: and i mean especially at that time period the american publishers would have been very conservative in what they chose to bring over
1: yeah apparently the the statement that came from live like original director uh in light of this remake when asked about why it hadn't come over it was just oh it just sold well it sold poorly in japan like that's why <laughs> Bit, Again, yeah.
2: partly from timing and from weirdness and from not from nobody understanding how awesome it was.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the, the remake really massages a lot of the more irritating aspects of it. Uh, the, you know, certain aspects of it that were poorly explained in the original context are much better explicated in the remake. It's, it's a very... It's, it's very good at uh, improving without... Uh, losing what was good about
0: the original. Yeah, I was uh, honestly surprised that the original wasn't a better looking game because I looked at this and it's just like, oh, they like HDified the original sprites but no, it's, it's not the case at all. <laughs> this is one of the few I never really like tried to emulate or anything like that so I had no idea what the original game looked like until I looked it up.
2: I remember my brother and I did this one about 20 years ago. But I, I'm, I think he played more of it than I did because I just couldn't stand the fan translation. That's rough. Yeah.
1: They did eventually improve that fan translation. Ah, oh, good. <sighs> but, yeah. Uh, as for what else I played, like I said, I got to chapter 3 of four. Yeah, Trails in the Sky, which is misleading because technically it's... Uh, the the first chapter is a prologue, and then there's chapter 1 and chapter 2. I just finished the one that's called chapter 2, which could realistically be called chapter 3. Uh, it's not a series known for its Um <laughs> Nope. But I'm, but I'm having a good time, I enjoy it. Yeah. See. Um, okay. uh don't think we have any questions in the chat. Uh, oh. uh before I forget Is there any Japanese game about fighting pollution? I'm trying to write an article about nature conservation and conservation And up behind pollution. Yeah, um, usually it's more from the perspective of like protecting the environment as it is I that. Is there a Captain Planet um, game? That's not
2: uh, Eco-creatures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, eco-creatures where you are basically a Durian-themed druid leading a zerg rush of squirrels, beavers, and flying squirrels against robots that are trying to basically devour the island. Uh, I think. I have only played the second game, not the first game, but it's about right. And... Yeah, there are parts where you are literally fighting pollution.
1: Yeah, shit. some questions before my brain just completely hits me. <laughs> it is definitely threatening to Who
0: do you think?
1: It's looking glass. What are examples of developers giving profit to the middle finger? to make Best game possible. I'm trying to think of any that didn't die in the process. Um, I can think of one, although the byproduct of their attempts to flip the bird to profitability has uh, led to them making insane decisions that appeal only to the company's head. So, and it's a it's an indie developer. Anyone ever heard of, uh, Watermelon
0: Software? No. No!
1: They're one of those companies that makes, like, uh, rele- new games on old systems. They're particularly fond of the Genesis slash Mega Drive. And they spent like eight years making a game called Paprium, which is a, uh, Genesis slash Mega Drive game. and. Entirely custom to the whims of one particular madman. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that he lost a shit ton of money. I have no idea where his money comes
0: from.
2: Yeah.
1: It took some the... crowdfunding, but that would not have covered a lot of the shit that he was doing.
0: What's the name of the game?
1: Paprium. P A P R I U M. Hmm. Hmm.
2: And one of those weird vanity projects? Or.
1: Very much a vanity project, very much like, uh, I'm going to make the most technically impressive Mega Drive game I can, and the process of doing that involved spending eight years, which is uh, nearly double the viable life of the Mega Drive when it was new. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just a truly bizarre object, uh, and ultimately somehow being producing a Genesis cartridge capable of having a modem plugged into it so they could download DLC. (laughs) Uh, Truly bizarre. Truly, truly bizarre. But, yeah. What was I going to say? But, yeah, that's, like, it's usually, like, indie panities that do this. It's very, like, if a company is publicly traded, it basically can't ever do this. Uh, And most... Uh, publishers you've ever heard of uh, are publicly traded and most developers get their money from publishers. Uh, we... Only one Genesis game ever used bank switching, Street Fighter 2, or yeah, Super Street Fighter 2 uh, required bank switching because the memory map could not hold more than like 32 megabits. Uh, uh. Paprium, I believe, would also do that. I've not checked into how it works, but I would presume it has to use some more bank switching because it's like double sized that. But, uh, yeah. In terms of games released at the time, Super Street Fighter 2 is one. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's very hard to think of situations where, uh, uh, company had, like, because the other thing is that, like, when you see companies do that, they often don't end up releasing games uh, because it means that their source of funding is not stopping them from doing that. So, like, you get into the Duke Nukem Forever situation where uh, they didn't need money from a publisher. Uh, Like, all that money, all that game was paid for out of pocket. Like, developers were paid out of pocket. And you ran into this issue of that meant that no one could tell uh, George Broussard, hey, you have a deadline. This has to be done by X, <laughs> like X days. And for most people, like that's hardly a Broussard uh, specific problem. But for most people, if they're told if they're not told they have to be done by X time, they're just going to keep tweaking. Mm-hmm. And so you get the endless. Uh, development cycles of something like a different forever where it's just like we have the allowance to just do whatever for essentially until um, we run out of money (laughs)
2: or or the inverse um uh the uh um the comeback on on twitter when somebody was joked about oh why didn't they do the complete version of saga scarlet grace the first time
1: yeah it's just like, like there's no, so such you publish the game different. that you
2: have. <laughs> so. Yeah. If if you wait for a finished game, you're never going to get done.
1: <laughs> yep. I I think I've mentioned before, and I'll say it again. The job of a uh, like project lead for most major games is not to necessarily be the one who's like uh, these. Like my ideas will be what steers the ship. It's to say we're going to have to, like, this is the idea we're going with. It's, we have to pick something. We have to decide, and like, you end up in these, like, leadership positions, it's like, we have to, we just have to lock down and pick something.
0: I'll
1: be right back. Uh, baby, let the bad times. Yeah. I think be... Yeah. Um... Mostly you see this with uh, indie companies are people with very non-traditional investment sources. Uh, I had another one that I don't think we also have much to say about, and sadly Genshin probably won't either, but we might as well. Uh, did Daikatana make Ion Storm lose so much money to both Ex and Anachronox? Could not recover all of it. Well, I mean, Anachronox was also a huge, huge financial failure. Um, it wasn't a bad game, but it did not sell. Um, and yeah, Deus Ex by itself was not going to keep all the branches of Ion Storm uh, up and running. Like that's just that just was out of the question. And so you end up with well, Ion Storm Austin that did Deus Ex, I forget, but that that company ends up being the last known survivor. And, uh, Deus Ex Two. Uh, underperforms in some fashion, and I believe they dissolved slash get eaten around that period. Uh, but yeah, that's just one of those things. Like, uh, uh, Dai Katana definitely lost a lot of money, but you know, it was also not a case <laughs> of there, there was. It was just a case of like, uh, there was there was one team that was making things but like sold that was within budget and so that team got to continue existing because of publisher punting and the rest got shuttered
2: i never got past the title of that game
1: uh daikatana or deus ex daikatana yeah because it's it's super wrong but
2: <laughs> i was gonna say whoever r- decided on that name knew absolutely nothing about how japanese actually works
1: yeah Uh, should be something like Daito, right?
2: It should be Daito.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah,
2: just just looking at that name that told me everything I needed to know about the mindset of the people who made this game, and why it should probably not be good.
1: Confused and misunderstanding weeds, Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, pretty much.
1: Yeah. And to hit the related question, Looking Glass, Ionstorm, i can we talk about how both Blast and Curse those studios related to origin systems were? I mean, EA came out of it alive, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, you run into the this issue of, like, Looking Glass and Ionstorm, which I'm sure what led to this question of developers giving prop of the middle finger. Uh, you look at these, and they're, they're not companies built to last because they're most, they... They were largely disinterested in market trends. They were largely disinterested in long-term profitability. They wanted to make games that were ambitious. And their logical extension ends up being Star Citizen, which is also which Cloud Imperium is a bunch of x origin systems folks. And mm-hmm. they are, it hits all of the beats we've talked about. They have Way too much fucking money with weird non traditional funding sources that means that they don't ever have to commit to this game needs to be out. Hmm. And so you get, uh, the, what is clothing in on the end of its first decade of production, uh, Star System. Ten more years. Ten more years. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Now back to the topic. And this is something we can all probably contribute to. Now back to the topic of weird versus tactical good. Anyone knows how weird it is? Most RPG stands have only have praised for FF9, and yet when asked which PS1 FF is their most favorite, the majority would choose seven, eight. Any reason why, besides everyone preferring being cool over being deep? I mean, like it's FFMs will eat each other alive constantly and forever. And the, like, FF9 vs. 7-8 thing is as much a weird identitarian turf war as it is anything to do with the games themselves. Which, even the one I hate, hate all of them are good RPGs. Um, but, uh, like, the, the... the, (laughs) FF9 for a lot of people represented this idea of like this is the return of what Final Fantasy is to me, a person who played way too much FF4 and 6 and remembers about half of both.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I liked I liked the first half of it quite a bit. I thought it kind of stretched itself thin once you left the main continent, but that's normal for Final Fantasy games. And um, yeah. I, I honestly I think it a lot of the themes within it worked much better than 8. and oh, yeah, a bit no. more consistently I think it was much better than game. 7. It just wasn't as, let's um, right here word here. It wasn't as edgy and pushing as the others were, I guess?
1: Boundary pushing, ambitious in yeah. some sense. Uh, yeah. Because like, it was definitely, it was a throwback game. It was designed to be.
2: Uh, Wasn't it originally supposed to be, like, a side game, and they just... There, there's... Like, I, I've definitely seen...
1: Yeah, I've definitely heard, like, claims that it was originally some sort of, like, Final Fantasy game. Specifically, like, a... Well, we don't... Like, the, the new games don't look like the old games, so we're gonna make that looks a little more like the old games. Uh, I've never looked at the primary sources on that, but I've seen, like, screens of them. Screens of concept art that are alleged to be from it that look quite plausible, but can't speak to the veracity of that but i believe that um but yeah like it it was you know and so for people who really wanted them to make a ff game that looked like what they imagined a 3d ff look like when they were playing uh the super nintendo games that's going to naturally be one they gravitate towards and it helps it is a very well designed very carefully designed very consistent game 7 and 8, uh, regardless of what you think of them, are both, uh, as Gaijin was saying, like much more boundary-pushing and much less consistent as games. Uh,
2: yeah, Do you remember the brouhaha there was over Final Fantasy VIII not having treasure chests?
1: Oh lord, no, oh, I, wasn't, I was not party to that. It,
2: it was a big thing on the forums and the Q&A letters at the time. Oh, Jesus Uh But,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things, like, people get attached to things that have... that, you know, don't reflect... They don't reflect what we would normally consider to be quality. They are things that they are attached to emotionally, and that's normal, that's fine. Uh, people fail to understand that they're attached To things on an emotional level that has nothing to do with how another person would perceive an object. And that's where things become a problem. But uh, everyone does that. Um, But yeah, uh, like personally, uh, naturally, as is clear, my favorite is Seven. Part of that is that uh, it was the first of them that I properly played, and it was also a, you know, you know, a very core part of my childhood. The other part of that, when I go back to play it and try to examine it outside the context of my childhood, is that it's an extremely weird game. And uh, being extremely weird is something that I consider very valuable in terms of what I care about in games. So when I see all of this, uh, when I see like FF7 being weird as shit uh, like that—that that makes me happy because it usually because it comes from them doing something that other games wouldn't, and you know, for good and ill. FF Seven, especially at t- FF Seven at the time, was very much a game that no other game would be, no other game would try to be. And there's some stuff in it that's still, uh, like very like wild that they did it. Uh, not the least of which honey is in. Honey BN. Yes. But even just, like, the uh, explicit terrorist acts that your characters are performing is the Like, there's usually, like, a sense of resistance and rebellion. Like, that's that's a classic thing. But the concept that someone brings up of, like, you blow up a power plant, and that caused, like, power to go out at hospitals, and people die because of that. Is... Uh, definitely a wild thing that you would not see many RPGs pull because it runs the risk of the player on some level questioning the game. Wait, do I like the characters? <laughs> like, they did something horrible on some level. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like the the so thing I can that...
2: Imagine, I can imagine at least one Mega Ten game going with that, right? Mega yeah. Ten
1: would do that, yes. But yes, it would also it would also have a lot of other things complicating the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but... Yeah.
1: Uh and that's I remember that's part when
2: I, I, I remember when I did the impression for for Shin Megami Tensei four, somebody in the comments got mad at me for referencing the fact that I was probably a genocide at this point. I mean it was. <laughs> and it was like honestly, have you played any Mega Ten games? This is not something outside the bounds of of possibility when it comes to being a character in these games.
1: Yeah. Was I was gonna say, but yeah, like, and that, that was why I loved the episode 7 remake. Uh, this is me gushing about that part nine million, but that it was still an extremely weird game. Uh, that, like, it was a more polished game than you would release in 1997. But it's still like, it was made by people who understood that a lot of the appeal of seven was that it was an extremely weird game, and that a failure to uh, comply with that would be a uh, desecration of the base spirit of game but yeah, like, what you value in your games do you valid, value polish do you value uh let uh, okay uh, looking at the chat I've met lifelong FFA fans because of how charmingly flawed it is or that they like J-Dramas yeah, like, do you value polish? do you value that, like emphasis on a love story do you connect with that love story like those things are going to determine like do you love ff8 the most do you love the weird gonzo out there-ness of ff7 do you love the like uh more traditional trappings of nine like all that is the core of these debates and that is why they'll
2: if you want to be technical seven and nine both had better love story setups than eight
1: yes but they are less they are less the focus of the f- focus thrust of the plot, which is all I'm getting now.
2: I don't know. I really liked how Final Fantasy IX book ended the s- the plot between the opening and closing sequences being. Very, oh, I love varied. it too. Yeah, but, and it ending with a love story. So.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, uh, the way that it's presented is very different from the more modernistic way of FFA, yeah. which is uh, usually the.
2: We should have paid more attention to Gakuen Mono-style um, visual novel games for its presentation, to be honest. Ooh. Yeah, fair. But it is what it is. Um,
1: mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, like that. that's why these debates rage on and why there's so much heat around them. It's because it's like, it's fundamentally about how people gauge quality and what they think is worth doing in a game. So... You'll get, the, you'll get the infinite debates, and, uh, you know, it, it would be fair to say that if we were just looking at the actual mechanical construction of it as a game, FF9 would easily take the crown for the PS1 games, but uh, if mechanics were all it took to sell something, there there would be, the video game landscape would be very different than what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, I would I would argue it would be poor. I, I think that uh, to try to boil a game down to how it functions is to miss what causes people to emotionally connect with them, and that that theming and art and setting and uh, like concepts, like all of those are. You know they're important, and you can't just brush them aside because it's like, well, it's hard to measure them. Yeah. Speaking of cool themes coming back, hey, Soul Hackers two in a couple weeks. It's apparently very good. Sweet. (laughs) Joe is asking how to join Pierbona. And maybe uh, suggest
0: a better name? No, you may not, but I can find... i just got to find another follower and I can do the raffle again. <laughs>
1: uh, but, yeah. Um, also, as an apology to literally everyone listening to this, wheels for whatever reason, named this stream and potentially his cult fear bomber.
2: <laughs>
1: so, mm. uh, he should be ashamed. Um... Okay, let's hit this next one because it's right down the middle from me. Uh, I recently had a talk with my friend He's a big Kingdom Hearts fan. He said something pretty out there. Sakaguchi is not actually that talented or unique. My friend brought up FF4, Blue Dragon, and Spears within as examples. Only succeeded because A, he had a great team and he was on first to make games like these. Nomura, on the other hand, doesn't always have the brightest ideas, but he's weird and knows which buttons to push to make people really into his games. Any thoughts on this, comment? Uh... I mean, the way I would put it is that, uh, I don't, how to describe this, uh, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, um, the like the idea <laughs> uh, the, yeah, on... uh, to, to look at it from a more, like, broad perspective, uh, without Sakaguchi, you still get plenty of RPGs, like that's just gonna happen. But you wouldn't get the same ones, and we don't know what those look like. So, what you going to do? I think that he was a perfectly talented uh, team manager. He did a very good job uh, of selecting talent as well. Uh, and honestly,
2: to even that's bring probably up. probably better talent to have.
1: Yeah, if you need to be a project manager, you need to be good at finding people who are good at things. Like, that is one of the key roles that you serve. Uh, to, to put that into perspective and to bring up the Nomura thing. Nomura was a debugger and then uh in FF6 he was like a part a secondary monster and character designer uh and then somehow he and Sakaguchi ended up writing the initial plot outline the initial plot concept of FF7.
2: Wasn't Nomura somehow responsible for literally the entire or almost the entire first disc because they kept adding stuff to Midgar?
1: uh i don't know what like because it's very hard to get like english sources on what exactly happened here the like i'm drawing from the credits and some oral histories that have appeared in english but basically
2: i do remember uh, reading an article once where it was describing how like the midgar section was originally supposed to be a lot shorter but then they kept coming up with more stuff to put into it
1: i mean it helps that it's such a striking image
2: yeah and and apparently a lot of that came down to nomura just managing to convince people to go with more things
1: mm-hmm. yeah. but no- nomura was his credits on that game are character designer and he he and sakaguchi are credited as original story concept. like they whatever that pitch was that was their pitch that they got together on and that's one of those things where it's like that that shows one of the talents that sakaguchi evidently had was that he was good at he he would clearly work with people who were not necessarily already high up in the company. He was clearly capable of, you know, finding talent, and that's super important. And you can see with his more recent games that that talent is underemphasized to some degree, because you look at things like uh, Blue Dragon and such, the, the issue you run into is that Mistwalker is not... It's not really a production company in itself. It's a company that makes pitches and ideas and like has Sakaguchi as director. But inevitably, the publisher has to be the one that picks the team that actually makes a game. And so you run into this thing of like you you don't get that uh, sense. And of course, like Sakaguchi, by all appearances, doesn't terribly isn't terribly interested in leaving Honolulu. He just likes living in Honolulu. So. run into this thing where it's like yeah he's had some he's had had his ups and downs any good any worthwhile creator has their ups and downs Hmm. and like i ain't got like i'm not the person who has to keep track of squares balance sheets so i'm not gonna tell someone that like tell to be i'm not gonna be upset that final fantasy the spirits within turned out poorly like that just happens Hmm. but you know, Sakaguchi, like, regardless of whether anyone else could have done it, it doesn't matter. Sakaguchi is the one that did do it. And so, you know, maintain respect for that. I do think that, uh... Aim
2: fall far.
1: Yep. And, you know, I, I would look at Nomura as a very talented, uh, uh, director. Like, he's got, uh, the capacity to, uh, Approach this con like he clearly loves making these action RPG hybrids and he clearly has all sorts of different like concepts for how to marry these two uh two genres in different ways so that like having been a key figure on Kingdom Hearts FF7 remake uh FF15 and like World Ends With You just to name a few he figure on all of those all of them completely distinct you would never like the combat systems and progression systems even within the same series when you look at Human hearts they all have these wild different series clearly someone capable of you know putting together and managing a team if allowed to so you know immense respect for that like i would consider both of them to be extremely talented at their jobs i don't think there's need for one of them to be to to worry about like supremacy like both of them they have different styles Certainly, like Nomura is a weirdo, a weirdo experimental guy who also has an unending love of Shibuya fashion. Uh, Sakaguchi is a bit more of the uh, traditionalist in terms of theming and aesthetics. He has, he clearly enjoys that fantasy aesthetic. Like FF Nine was his baby, uh, and ever since. Uh, he left Square, a lot of his games tend to have that more traditionalist fantasy band. He just seems to like it. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things, like, you know, they, it, it turns out that it takes all kinds, especially when you're trying to make a diversified RPG portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to trample over anyone else.
2: No worries. But yeah, um, you know, JRPG development is just one area where you don't, you shouldn't be seeing a lot of auteur-ship.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Just because you need the team, and the team needs to be contributing to the total in order to make anything work.
1: Mm-hmm. And inevitably, the kind of director that you run into is also going to inevitably uh, determine what ideas end up getting kept, certainly, and that's why you can see tell a Sakaguchi game from a Omura game from a Kuwazu game from a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but...
2: So, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh here but it just said on the screen that a bed collapsed and then Wheels woke up
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> perfect timing um,
2: yeah
1: Let's hit one of the questions that he had that uh, Fireliner had is there a uh, game anyone thinks is good but has no real fans, Mr. Driller I will uh, point out that I definitely know many Mr. Driller fans uh, especially the person that I introduced Mr. Driller Drillland 2 when that game came out on Switch and has been playing it off and on as their nighttime game for a year and a half. Mm.
2: But, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to find a good game that does not have some sort of ridiculous cult following in Japan.
1: Yeah, it's just like, how loud is that cult following? Yeah. But, I, mean, I mean, quite they're... often it's been
2: holding onto this cult following for 30 years.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be good. Like let's be real, it doesn't even have to be good. Uh, I made my I made one of my most high context shit posts uh, on Twitter a few days ago when I just tweeted untranslated who's okay, translated shit game. Localized meme game.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: I saw and, that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that you'd seen that. But yeah, just one of those things where it's like, yeah. Uh, It doesn't even have to be good. (laughs) Uh,
2: I mean, you'll find people who appreciate or are fans of Stargazer.
1: Yep. I've, I've seen them, and they're like, well, it sucks ass to play, but like, the ideas that it has are kind of interesting for the period.
2: And that's why when I wrote about it, I was like, yeah, this is like the Ed Wood of video games. Yes, it is awful, but it inspires you to do better.
1: Yep. There's a fan remake of Stargate. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm like, okay. It cannot be worse. Nope. By it's, definition, it's tile it cannot be is, worse than the original.
1: Its tile set is implemented properly, and you can see how much HP
2: anything has. Mm-hmm.
1: It's already a huge leg up.
2: And if you exit an area, it actually takes you outside of that area.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Love it. I love when the... the the frame transitions are implemented properly. But, yeah. You know, you'll, you'll find... Anything
2: is implemented properly because nothing in that game is implemented properly.
1: <laughs> but yeah. Uh, if, if there's anything I can think of that, like, has no constituency, it's just uh, that, like, that can be good but has no real constituency. It's things that
0: natural words, there
1: you go no because you exist remember
0: uh-huh.
1: but uh, what I was going to say was things that are just singularly unambitious perfectly functional and nothing else those that, that's the closest you get to something having no real fan base like you okay, so
2: I won uh, a raffle here so what species should this follower be <laughs> Um, I'm thinking, um, let's see here. Oh, got here. Burrow worm. Hmm. Dog, cat, fox, rabbit. This is maggot here. It looks like a reindeer. Horns, but you know what? Okay, let's go with that.
1: Yeah, Fireliner asks if anyone remembers centipede and no, all the arcade games from the golden age. No, you don't. Well, I mean, not firsthand because I
2: wasn't alive for them,
1: but I've definitely played them. I because,
2: I wasn't alive when several of them were first made, but I still saw them on arcades occasionally.
1: Yeah, you, I I will put it this way: I usually saw them in bowling alleys. But yeah, uh, it's just one of Oh, those I actually played. need
2: to be able to log in to this thing in order to uh, create a yeah. follower. Sorry, wheels. It's oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Such is life. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, it, you know, the, the other thing, of course, being that you run into those, those old-ass games and they just don't have... Uh, whoever made them hasn't existed in 20 years or hasn't made games in 30 years. Uh, and so... There's no real viable path to re-releasing them, outside of Hamster finding them and being like, We want to re-release this! Mm -hmm. God bless Hamster Corporation. (laughs) Uh. Uh. But yeah, Um, one other question that was asked in the chat. Also, my throat is getting dry, so we should probably finish sooner than later. Is there something so terrible uh, that still makes so much money in terms of games? I recently heard a lot of people talking about Jurassic Park's the only dinosaur movie. People just want to see dinosaurs in the theater.
2: Well, it's not the only dinosaur movie, it's just most of the ones we don't talk about because they're like (laughs) really. It's the only big budget one.
1: Yeah, it's the only big budget, like, sci fi, uh, dinosaur flick. And yeah, that probably does explain a lot of the. Uh, enduring popularity of the Jurassic movies, given that most uh, people who watch them seem to say they've been bad for many movies now. But, <laughs> um, I don't know, I'm trying to think, like, you, you run into, like, these sort of like low-budget things that sort serve of extreme, extremely niche uh, people that, like, I can't uh, rightly say if they're bad or not because I'm not the target audience like a lot of people will dunk on something like farming simulator But I'm not a farming simulator. player. I don't know if farming simulator is good But evidently it serves a niche that no one else is serving and that's why you there's a new farming simulator every single year yeah. And I don't mean story of seasons or Harvestella or whatever I, I mean very specific Farmville <laughs> Not even Farmville, there's like this, the, the farming simulator series is like very specific. time to get in your tractor and start tilling, but yeah. But yeah, and you know, it, it's
2: like... Uh, apparently there's there's an upcoming game that's a hotel simulator where you are the owner of the hotel, but you're also a vampire and it's your mission to attract, quote unquote, guests over for dinner.
1: That's a good idea, I like that. Uh, yeah, I um. Um. But yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. It, like what? What you end up looking for when you find this kind of thing is things that are serving extremely underutilized niches. Uh. And there's not a blob in that field, uh, especially because, but, you know, it tends to be things that, uh, you know, like I said, underserved niches uh, that, uh, you know, they have, like, one game to play that uh, resolves the things that they have. Like, I have friends who play, like, Euro Truck Simulator quite a bit, and it's like, I don't know, maybe there's a better, like, by all accounts, that's a, that's a perfectly fine game. Maybe you could make a better truck
2: simulator, but at the same time, like,
1: no one else is doing it, so it's all the trucks sim- in. It's all trucks in all the time. It's, that's,
2: um, if you want but to then, I mean, spin- if you get too much better on the truck simulator, you end up with another version of Desert Bus.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, like, if you want, if you just want to simulate, like, long-haul trucking, well, Euro Truck Simulator and American Truck Simulator, those are your options. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, I'm apparently exhausted, so. Alright, let's let's wrap it up,
0: then. Uh,
1: Okay, Gaijin. Mm
2: -hmm. Tell me what my next
1: piece of reading material ought to
2: be. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay, well, it ought to be Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Uh, please be like the intrepid reader who is currently about finished with episode seven thus far.
1: Dang, I devour him.
2: Okay, yeah. Oh, I mean, she had about a week where she didn't read anything, and then it's like mm-hmm. starting from about the eighth, actually from the ninth, we have two episodes done. So nice. Yeah, I cannot complain. Actually, I'm not sure if she's finished with Episode 7 yet, because that was a long one.
1: Mm-hmm. But so in, at the really sure. very least in Episode
2: 7. Oh, it's it's very close to the end, wherever she is. Mm-hmm. So, But yes, yeah, so... Okay, so if you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, if you enjoy um, reading about other people playing tabletop role-playing games, if you just enjoy living vicariously through other people's very poor personal... Do- and, uh, decisions and dice rolls um, then this may be a good series for you. I mean after all we have I don't even want to count how many action play podcasts at this point
1: So Um, many many.
2: Yeah about 49% of them being um, Curse of Strahd Um, so if you want something in that vein but a bit different in type, uh, go with this please. Check it out. That's. Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Mm.
0: What else? Uh, you can catch me in my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Wheels. We do a Sunday night show at midnight Eastern playing multiplayer games and uh, adventures in platforming, usually Monday nights, currently playing through uh, I could oh, Yeah. And... Make it occasionally stream random other stuff, like, uh, streaming four card games at once. Occasionally, I do that. You absolute fucking criminal. Yes. Uh, that's it for me.
1: Okay, uh, and you should check out this podcast, uh, streaming live, which it does every Wednesday at 9pm Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, it is streamed usually on Twitch.tv slash Wheels. We tried to mirror it onto the RPGamer stream, but not always, but it's always on AskWheels that we released, um, on, and,
2: let's make some
1: and uh, you should ask us questions, like dear friend Fireminer, who did so on the Twitch chat tonight, but also for Fireminer from the past had also sent us questions
0: us via the
1: Discord that can be found at, uh, uh, light ammo. by going to rpgamer and clicking the viewing tab uh, which even if you don't want to ask us questions you should probably join this for it's uh we always love to hear your questions thanks once again to fireliner for in our chat this week uh, otherwise see ya space cowboys
0: see ya
2: I'm going shit on one. one.